0: And we're back! This is going to be interesting because I haven't actually got any notes or a script for this intro, so um, yeah, this could go to a weird place, let's hope, let's hope. Uh, so first things first, yeah, it's uh, it's. it feels like I'm just dropping in here out of the blue um, after so much time away. I started a new job in November and I've been absolutely loving it, but it was a lot. I was working pretty much every weekend, most evenings. Um, for a very temporary period of time, I should say. Um, I don't believe that shit is sustainable. After having pretty much a huge break over Christmas, so many people have been really sweet and refused to let this bad boy die, really. (laughs) I think I've been quite stressed and sort of thinking to myself, like... Do I want to keep doing a podcast? Um, it's a relatively small scale. Uh, it has a, it has listeners, regular listeners, but we're not talking in the hundreds or thousands. Um, and one guy, actually, I want to thank. Uh, his handle, I believe, on Twitter is at LukeyBaby. Um, got in contact with me and was like, uh, yo, are you alive? Um, are we ever going to get a new episode? Um, obviously, I was halfway through doing Cota, Knights of the Old Republic 2, with my buddy Ben previously so I'm keen to kind of finish that game so that I can focus on other games as well. Uh, and yeah, I, I I am still alive. I really still want to keep, keep doing this um, as often as I can, really. Um, there is a lot of work that goes into it when you are a one-woman show, as I am. So this is COTA Part 2, which, uh, well, COTA 2 Part 2, should I say. This is uh, a long time coming, and we actually recorded this back in October. Haven't had a chance to edit it, get it sorted. It's now ready for your ear canals, and I imagine there'll be much more, we'll have lots more parts of Kota to kind of finish that game, because Kota 2 is a whopper, but we'll also be focusing on, I want to do Detroit Become Human fairly soon with my girl Tara. Tara, I know you're listening, because you're one of my day ones. Uh, And I want to do Resident Evil 8, because I finished that last year and absolutely loved it, it was my game of the year. Uh, There's so much going on, Elden Ring's just come out, and it's blowing my tiny mind, but yeah the gaming space is full of awesome stories that i still really really want to cover i'm also trying to work out ways in which i can reduce the amount of time i spend on this podcast and maybe one of them is just waffling like a loser at the start of each uh each episode and not spending quite so much time on the polish you know maybe i need to ditch the spoiler app but every time i've tried everyone goes no we like it so I've sort of kept it and um, the good thing is it's exactly 30 seconds, which is what it was designed to be. If you want to skip it, <laughs> you can skip it with the fast forward button in one in one press. If you haven't listened to the previous Cota, uh, Cota 2 part 1, go and listen to that. Otherwise, this won't make a shred of sense, I promise you. Also, beware spoilers for Cota 2 because of course... I don't really need to explain why because we're going to be talking in depth about the plot and the storyline and the characters and the choices Ben's back He's lovely as ever. My beloved guest, friend of many, many years now. We went to school together and he will be doing the lovely, delightful thing that he does, which is saying weird words like romantical rather than romantic and the badge of proudness rather than pride. Most of the time, for a while I edited them out and then I was like, nah, people need to experience just how Ben speaks his own language sometimes. because it is really fun so uh, without further ado this is Cota 2 part 2 I hope you're well I'll be back at the end to announce what's coming up uh, with new games and this time I promise I will not be away for quite as long shout out to Lukey baby bye okay Benjibino, we are here for part two. We've got Kreia, Atten and T3 all on the Ebonhawk. Hawk. We also didn't mention in the last episode that you do find the rusted remains of HK-47 on board the Evan Hawk as
1: well. Hello old friend. The only problem being foe is that he is deactivated and uh, and we have to find a way to, to get spark him back to life.
0: Yes, which we will come to as we explore uh, the rest of the game and you start to pick up some components and some parts along your travels which you can use to rebuild him. Seeing him again lurking on board, deactivated, I was like... Brilliant. I know we're going to get HK-47 again in this game. Telos is actually the place we're going because it's the last, was it the last location that was programmed into the into the uh, navigation map or something on board the Ebon Hawk?
1: Yeah, you got it. Um, we have no choice as to where we're going. That's what's set on the nav computer coordinates that we downloaded and that's where the force is leading us.
0: So arriving in Telos, something happens that happens a lot. It actually becomes a slight running joke across Coat or Two. I'm
2: Lieutenant Gren, Telos Security Force. I'm under orders to take you into custody in regards to the destruction of the Paragus Mining Facility.
0: We get arrested and put on house arrest. They want to ask us some questions about what happened on the Paragus fueling station because... It blew up suspiciously. And we were the last ship to leave that area. So we're in their little
1: prison um, containment cell things at first, and um, we're greeted by an assassin that's trying to murder us.
0: Form an orderly queue, please. There is a line for people trying to take my bounty right now.
3: Jedi or no, you're the one I am pledged to kill. There is no mistaking that. <laughs>
0: When you were talking to me on your notes, you described him as a shrimp, and I was like, "That, that, why is that such a good insult for him?" <laughs> I, I, he's, he's a
1: swine. He's sniveling. He's, he's just, he, he, he's so cunning, or oh, at least he <laughs> thinks he is. Like he just feels like he's so above you.
0: My party handed his ass to him on a silver platter. <laughs> Some ass, sir. He
1: wanted to take down Crier, and I thought. gonna beat up an old woman how dare you
0: (laughs) there's actually a side quest tied to him isn't there where um it says something like i think in the in the log he has a fake name he stole someone's identity to try and get into the cell to claim the bounty on you and he's not who he says he is the real person uh whose identity he's stolen is actually out there somewhere and there is actually a side quest that you can kind of figure that out. But I had that blocked off for me because I sided with, and we'll get to this in a moment, but sided with the Ethorians during the whole Telos story arc. And therefore I lost access to the dock where I think that, side quest plays out so I never found out what happened to the poor geezer who he impersonated to get to me in the first place and I was the same I
1: never got to the bottom of it
0: yeah you must have to act on it really soon before you sort of like pick an allegiance then in a lot of games you can explore side quests in any order that you like they're side quests they're kind of there to be had Uh, They're snacks, you know, if the if the narrative main missions are your three meals a day, you can snack on a side quest whenever you like, and it's not really going to ruin anything else. It's not going to ruin your dinner. But I don't really know where I'm going with this analogy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You're just but making it me is... feel hungry. <laughs> I, know, I know. I've eaten as well. I've just had a curry. It ends up certain, sometimes in, in Kota, the order in which you do things will actually block certain pathways for you. Let's talk about being on house arrest in this apartment with Kreia being super cryptic, and moaning, and the phone ringing every 10 seconds.
1: Constantly. <laughs>
0: it becomes really farcical. It's almost like a bit of a sitcom. <laughs> the phone just never stops ringing. And this is kind of where you get introduced to what your two uh, different branching mission paths actually are. So you've got the Ethorians. Now the Ithorians are all about planet restoration. They're trying to restore the biology of Telos after it was damaged in the war. The other side of the coin is Zerka, who are very much the the dark side of the of the spectrum when it comes to your your choices ethically because they are a greedy corporation who are out to effectively capitalize on the misery of the galaxy to put it bluntly same. to did you, say, did you say same no 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 i i, I... <laughs> I thought you said same. I'm out to capitalize on the, on the misery of the Galaxy 2. I live
1: for a bit of dosh.
0: I live for it.
1: Um, but I think you I think you do suck a bit of this here because um, I've fought long and hard because, of course, I'm going into this playthrough being a little bit of a... Uh, Evil do gooder, should I say. An
0: evil do-gooder. What a brilliant oxymoron. You
1: know my approach, I, t- I tend to start in the middle ground and then do some evil deeds along the way.
0: Yeah. Your playthroughs are like a heartbeat monitor that gets scared halfway through, like it's all like boop 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 boop. gets, to the <laughs> gets a bit erratic. Uh, yeah. So I fought long and hard on
1: Circa. Um now I would say that they are approaching telos in a bit more of a pragmatic long-term restoration plan yeah they're they're trying to build telos into a self-sustaining planet um not in its terms of biology but in its um its industry and things like that but their approach to that is a little bit yeah.
2: I've come to inform you that the Talosian government has completed its inspection of what's left of the Paragus facility. It appears that the Harbinger had indeed been present, though it was gone when our ships arrived and was responsible for the station's destruction. As such, you are to be released from house arrest.
0: So after House Arrest ends, we're able to fully explore Telos and begin the mission branches for either the Ithorians or Zerka. The Ithorians give you an offer. They suggest that if you do side with them and Shodo Habat, who's their leader uh, in this planet restoration project, if you choose to help them out rather than Zerka, uh, they will offer to restore your connection to the Force. Kraya is not cool with that.
3: I do not approve of this alliance we have formed with Chodo Habat and his Ithorians. Habat has an agenda and he hopes to tie you into it to use you to his own ends.
0: This was the first time when she started acting a little bit sus of Chodo Habat that I started to question the very first time, I'll say, whether I could trust Kraya. How does you feel about her behaviour towards the light side or the dark side or neither, really? Because it is such a distrust, isn't it? And it comes
1: so out of yes. left field. It, it, it just comes out of nowhere. It makes you question Kweya. Oh, I don't know. It makes you question oh, <laughs> Kweya more than the Euphorians in the end because, because her distrust comes so out of nowhere. Mm. And it's very aimed at Chodo Hibat himself. So it's just interesting.
0: It is really interesting. And actually, this is something we can explore more with Kreia as we go through. But Kreia is definitely one of those characters whose agenda you are guessing constantly throughout the duration of the game. She isn't a character who is neatly wrapped in a good person or a bad person. You spend more time trying to figure out her motives than you do anybody else in the game. She very much,
1: in her appearance, looks like an, uh, a Jedi of sorts. But she has a twist. She has a she has an edge to her, which is a little bit um,
0: unpredictable.
3: It would be best if you avoided such needless entanglements. You are too valuable to be caught up in the struggles of this planet.
0: She almost makes it seem like it's unimportant to get involved, and it's not that she she favors good or evil. It's just that she's kind of like there's no time we don't have time for this
1: and I understand that yeah I understand that but at the same time later in the game she contradicts herself because she says wrap yourself in other people's Mm. trauma let them lean on you Mm. let yourself grow stronger through that um so she seems to say Mm. different things based on how she is feeling at the time as well so perhaps a little bit of manipulation there
0: Definitely, definitely. The first whiffs. Mmm. Can you smell that manipulation? It smells ghastly. <laughs> <laughs> so who did you side with then? Did you side with the Ithorians or
1: Zerka? I sided with the Ithorians. Um, like I said, fought long and hard about it, given my um, devilish ways. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, connection, restoring my connection to the Force is a biggie, really. I'm fighting this Sith. Yep. Money's not going to help me. Sorry, Zerka. Um, but growing stronger in my capabilities will so that was my that was my rationale for that
0: i felt like my character was such a loner i really projected the exile onto them in a way of they've been isolated for so long they don't really trust other people but a part of them is also desperately lonely and crying out for people and to do A little bit of good to the galaxy feels good for them. It's something they aspire to, which is why Kraya's sudden disapproval of helping other people seems to really turn them off a little bit. And at this point, I did get a little bit sus of Kraya, I can't lie. But I felt that I was doing also myself a service in trying to figure out what my true power was because I hadn't entirely given up on myself yet. And
1: building off that as well... We fought in the Mandalorian Wars and we went into that with the aim to protect people. So after all of that malarkey, um, we we would want to be helping restoring the planets. We saw the destruction firsthand and the horrors of war. So we would want something good to come about following that, surely?
0: So we both did the Arthurians, uh story arc then. We both uh, sought to heal our connection to the Force while healing the planet. Whatever path you take, you seem to run in with the exchange... Uh, which is kind of this almost mafia esque crime syndicate uh, that operates across the galaxy. There's a woman called Luxa, isn't there? And she's dressed like uh, sort of. It's very sexy. It kind of reminded me of like Soul Calibur when the women are just not dressed for battle at all. Yeah.
1: I mean, <laughs> she um, she knows her assets and she's working it.
0: <laughs> she is working it. And she. Asks you to help, or she asked me at least, to run her boss off the station. She's an aspirational kind of girl. She's got ambitions and she wants to, she wants us to kill, I think the guy's name is... Oh, take a random guess, Ben. I want to say it's Saquish. Saquish. It is Saquish. Yes. Yeah, Saquish. Saquish, Saquish sounds like you just sat on a quiche.
1: Yes, yeah, it does.
0: <laughs> I'm sad, i don't Saquish. I've made a butt print in this Saquish. <laughs> that's
1: a sad sequish
0: (laughs) hello this is me just quickly dropping in uh if you are listening to this going i think you'll find uh that character is not called sequish um yeah i have just realized this uh looking at my notes as i was editing the episode uh the character here the exchange boss uh on telos on citadel station is actually called slusk um which is a gross-sounding word, um, but anyway, we Ben kind of got him confused with Sequish, who is actually a character uh, on Nashadar. Later on, he's a, he's also a Quarren. He's the same species. He's another crime boss for the Exchange. So the two characters are very, very similar. But this one definitely is uh, Slusk, and the guy on Nashadar is Sequish. I just left this bit in because I had so much fun, honestly, just listening to me and Ben crack up at the word Sequish, as you were um so anyways i can't say that without laughing now so suquish um is this this leader this sort of mob boss and sexy old Luxa asks us to kill him so i did actually agree to do this for her got to him and then after i've killed him she turns on me and i was like uh bitch please
3: slusk's dead but godo's still my boss i'm shipping you to narshada jedi
1: She turned to me as well and uh, by which point I was like well time to die you know I'm not here to I'm not here to be mucked about you know you've used me fair dues.
0: I didn't really feel like there were many ways out of that. Not
1: really uh, but I I didn't mind so much because she got me through the door and I needed to get in there anyway to um, sort things out because it seems to be the, the exchange have a bit of an interest in me from the bounty sort of point.
0: Want them hushed as much as possible, don't you? Because they are the people who are uh, really interested in selling you and making a pretty penny. So uh, yeah, it was a total bloodbath for me. Everyone died. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I went in there with the intention to make it really sort of, uh, you know, just we'll come, we'll stop you guys from bothering the Ethorians and we'll, everybody will be happy. And it turned into pretty much everyone involved in, in that plot line died. I think Sequish died and Luxa died and I killed a lot of them. To
1: get into the exchange itself, there's these Rhodian guards and one by one, I was killing them because they were denying me entry at first. Yeah. And each time I re the door, I said, do you know who I am? As I'm tripping over their, their past co-worker's dead body on the floor. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, at that point, there was no going back. I feel like we, we we did a lot of damage there. I came out of that area and I was like, oh, I killed a lot of people there. I wonder if that's going to have attracted... I Again, I wanted to lay low as a Jedi. I didn't want to cause loads of carnage. So I kind of felt like, oh man, probably shouldn't have gone in there and killed all those people. But oh well, what's done's done. Say <laughs> lovey.
1: Chaos finds the exile.
0: Wherever they may go. There's a guy called Chano as well. He plays a part in this. Chano Chano, because he is like a droid... Um, engineer who works on, I want to say it's called something B, B4, B D 4 something like that. Something, something on those, along lines, those lines, but he, yeah. this kind of droid looks a lot like C-3PO. Actually, I've just Googled it. It's B4, D4. So close, so close names. Um, and he has to effectively go and get undercover and steal some files, if I remember right.
1: Yeah. So um, the Aethorian's Whilst they have good intentions, they do play the game a little bit. Um, So we've stolen this droid from Circa uh, before it gets delivered. That's it.
0: It's a Circa droid, isn't it? Yes. And we
1: use it to hack into Circa's mainframe, which is a bit of a fun moment really because we actually take control of this droid.
0: I remember as well, I've written in my notes that I (laughs) I don't know what it was, I think I'd paid a lot of people at this point, maybe I'd paid them to be quiet or I'd paid them not to kill me Um, and I remember threatening Jano for the droid because I didn't want to cough up like 2,500 credits I, I can't remember exactly what part of it it was, whether it was for the droid itself or whether it was something Similar, but I've written in my notes I threatened Chano and I felt bad about it. Because <laughs> he was a nice guy. <laughs>
1: yeah, he is kind of mind his own business. We do barge into his room, yeah. don't we? In fact, we barge into quite a few people's rooms.
0: There's a bit, isn't there, that's really meta when you're exploring Telos. There's like an apartment complex and there's a bloke. This really stayed with me, so very clever on Yukota. You wander through the uh, apartment complex, just similarly to how you did in Taris in the very start of the first game. And you are just like opening crates and like lockers and generally just looting, you know, what gamers do. And this one guy just walks into the room after you and goes,
3: You just break into my apartment and take everything I own? Are you crazy?
0: And it catches you by surprise. You're handed and you're just like, the game, it scolds you for being a classic looting player and not thinking of the wider consequence or the realism of this world. And you're just like, oh mate, I'm really sorry. And then he, he doesn't even ask for the money back. He just lets you go, which is even worse. He's like,
3: now get out of here before I get the TSF to throw you in jail.
0: Don't darken my door again with your thieving hands and you just like leave like, man, I feel really bad about that random NPC that I just robbed.
1: The goody t-shoes that you wear, you must be like, oh my god. What
0: am I doing? I threatened Chano because I didn't want to pay him. I robbed this poor guy. Honestly, honestly, I was a menace. Public menace. When you get this circuit droid who then wanders into uh, this place to steal the files, you get apprehended by like a little T3 kind of R2-D2 kind of droid. And I've, I really enjoyed this scene because I felt like... We touched on it in the previous episode. The droids have so much more personality in this game. They are so well written. And the idea of the one-sided conversation, which obviously is very C-3PO and R2-D2, in that one is just kind of making bleep bloops, blips of audio that don't really mean anything, but the other is responding to them in such a way that you can almost imagine as a player and fill in the gaps as to what they said and I think that's so clever and that's done a lot throughout this game very very well where you'll have bleep 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 bloop, and then someone maybe uh the exile or maybe another droid go oh wash your mouth out like <laughs> as if you would say that as if you would do that and yeah. it really helps to play with the the sense of personality that these machines have yeah it,
1: that's a good point actually because you Especially with T3, you get a choice as to his personality a little bit. I mean, he's a bit of a quirky little droid anyway, but you can kind of, based on how you react to his little bleeps and bloops, um, you you can kind of see how far you can push that quirk. What was that? That's what I'm talking about. That is
2: not normal droid behaviour.
0: So we've sorted out the exchange, and we've sided with either the Athorian's or, Z- or the Zerka Corporation. In our case, it was both the Athorian's. There was quite a lot going on on Telos, but one of the biggest things is the Ebon Hawk is stolen by some woman wearing Ugg boots. Yes, damn chavs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, she's got a hoodie on, she's got Ugg boots, and she just waltz into our um, our Ebon Hawk the little miscreant, and she she takes it.
0: Yeah, and we don't know who this is at this point, but naturally we've got to try and get it back because it's our only way off of this place.
1: We don't want to stay here too long. The longer we're here, the more threat we are of the Sith. They're going to sense us and it, we're going to draw them to us.
0: Before we go, was there any other side quests that you wanted to mention? Any other fun things that happened within the city of Telos before we kind of get down to the planet's surface and searching for the Ebon Hawk?
1: I think for me, um, one thing I always enjoy doing is I worked for the Duros brothers, or at least one of them. Um, He was selling black market goods.
0: They're, They're working within the same... There's like a few... Uh, shelves between yeah.
1: them. Yeah, the the one doing dodgy deeds is hidden behind the shop. Yes, a bit. one of
0: them's really dodgy and the other one's like really honest. Yeah, I I loved that bit because it was really funny the way that they they have interactions because obviously they are both two different merchants dealing in the same room because they obviously can't afford to have separate shops. So their shop is just one room divided by like a few shelves. And I remember when you talk to one of them, he slags off his brother obviously and then you just hear from the other side like it's just a shelf. I can hear you. They yeah. don't get
1: on. They don't get on.
0: <laughs> One thing I wanted to bring up was uh, this guy called Hara You find, I think he's a Twi'lek, and he has a girlfriend who was lost in a game of Pazak. And I felt like I really empowered this woman because I went and bought her. I think that was why I was so keen not to pay anybody else because i had spent a fortune trying to free this Twi'lek dancer. Um, And I brought her back to him because that's all that you're supposed to do. And I was like, oh, God, I hope I'm not like giving her back to her abusive partner who sold her in a game of Pazak. And then you can basically say I choose to free her. And I did choose to free her and it was great. And she like, you know, verbally slaps him in the face and walks out of there. And I was like, amazing. Go, you can
1: do better, you go.
0: My work here is done. You also get to have, there's quite a few dialogue options with people like Chodo Habat, the leader of the Authorians, And I think there might've been one or two others. You speak to people and whenever the force is discussed, you can inquire as to either the severing or the strengthening of force bonds. Which is a great bit of foreshadowing. You know that you and Kraya share a force bond. You know it could be detrimental to the two of you. This choice of dialogue options, severing or strengthening, really gives an indication as to where you can go with Kraya and your relationship with her quite early on in the game.
1: Oh, no, absolutely, yes. Um, There's two ways to look at this bond, isn't there? It could be something positive, much like how it kind of was in the first game. Um, There was no kind of cons to it in the first game. But at the same time, there's this very detrimental factor of when one is harmed, it can cause harm to another.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And there's this complete uncontrollability um, as to how this even came about. So it's just, it's its own little beast, really. It's not something that you've chosen to form.
0: So we've left Chodo Habat and the Athorian's, and we've gone down to the planet's surface in order to try and find the Ebon Hawk that has been stolen by this white hooded chav girl. Uh, So (laughs) wherever she and her rug boots are, we don't know, but we're here to scour the planet because that's our getaway. Like you say, we can't stay for too long because the Sith are going to be hounding us and they're going to be drawn to us. So we need to make a speedy getaway. So we land on the planet's surface and when I say land, I mean crash. we crash on the surface of telos and we reunite with an old friend of the exile this is our next party member beo what were your first thoughts about Beoda?
1: So there's a bit of an odd introduction, if I'm honest, Uh, because he's calling us general and first time playing it, you're like, who is this guy? Why is he calling me a general? Um, But it transpires that he fought with us in the Mandalorian Wars and we just so happened to land on his lap.
0: What a small galaxy.
1: Yeah, which is very coincidental, isn't it? But the force has its ways, it does. Um, It it helps
0: with writing, I guess,
1: in the Star Wars universe. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, hey, coincidence and and fate and the ideas of things being sort of preordained are explored in lots of different games. But I suppose, yeah, with, with Star Wars, they do very much have the force to lean on, you know, this mysterious essence that runs through everything and everyone and has almost like a, a sentience to it. It's got a wider plan of its own.
1: The reason the reason for this coincidence is explored later in the game. Um but I can't say now. We have to we have to explore that as we come to it.
0: Oh, okay. All right. That's that's really interesting. Um, yeah, so Beodur served with us at Malacal Five. I love his voice actor. He is such a smooth talker. I would describe his voice as a little bit crispy. Do you know what I mean?
3: Easy now. We
2: survived one spectacular crash. Lucky I was here to pull you and your friends out of that shuttle, or you'd be
3: more than a little crispy.
1: <laughs> He's got like the perfect like meditation, radio, wind-down voice. Yes.
0: Yes, he should be on like NPR or something or Radiolab. Yeah, he's got like meditation app vibes for me. (laughs) He's very, very soft, smoky voice. He's got a badass repulsor arm because he lost his arm during the war. So he's had this like crazy power mechanical fist fitted that can smash through four shields
1: he's, he's a bit of a tech specialist really so he he's a bit of a tinkerer and he he's got his own little personal droid which is a little cute little ball thing
3: i'll uh, humor you general i was one of the iridonian mechanic corps that was at malachor
0: Bayadere is a great character in that you immediately get a sense of he has a relationship with us. Uh, we fought together in the war, but he is slightly, I mean, I say slightly, quite traumatized by everything to, that happened at Malachor 5. And He wants to forget. He's trying to give back to the planet. And this is why he finds himself here on Telos. We go along with uh, Beoder. He joins the party. I had, I think, Beoder and Atom at this point. And you kind of go through, you fight a few circa guards, and you eventually end up in uh, the polar region. A
1: few circa guards. Oh,
0: there's loads. There's tons. Well, you fight a tank droid as well. It's bloody massive. You fight
1: everything. Like, I don't know <laughs> how you do doing with your blades, but with my little crummy pistols, I was not doing so well at all. Thank God. Atten has this weird ability where if he's knocked down, he gets up by himself without the fight having to end. Because quite honestly, I was leaning so heavily on him just pop shot in once or twice before he went back down 10, 20, 30, (laughs) 40 times.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, Bayadera as well is, uh, he's a melee. He actually specializes, I think, in unarmed combat, doesn't he? So he, you can sort of give him like fighting gloves and stuff that actually boosts the power of his unarmed fists, So I never actually gave him a a shield or a sword or anything like that. I just kind of let him run riot and punch people in the face. Uh, very damn hard, and he has that ability that can take shields down as well, which is pretty cool. So
1: God, you know what? You've gotten onto something I've probably never caught onto with him, because I always thought he was super yeah. weak and barely used him. So actually, that's probably yeah. the way to play Beowder, and I've never realised. M-
0: yeah, it, it might. I mean, I'm obviously I'm nowhere near an expert in comparison to you, and there might be people listening to this going, "No, Beowder, <laughs> he's totally." This, <laughs> but I I really enjoyed playing with him that way, and we were all melee apart from obviously Atten is his pistols, so uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. I didn't have Sith lightning at this point, so I couldn't just go zap 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 like I normally would do. Uh, but I did find this area quite tough. The Zerka guards were pretty uh, pretty nails, and the tank droid was formidable to say the least. We steal a ship to make it to this polar region area, and
1: the place we steal it from uh, is
0: quite interesting in itself, really,
1: because. It has all of these toxic fences in it, and Bayadur lived up to his name because the the bloomin bugger kept walking through the 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 poison fence, and he kept going down.
0: <laughs> a toxic work environment. It was
1: a toxic work <laughs> environment. Yes.
0: Yeah, it's the Zerka base, isn't it? Like you can't. Do you ever think when you play games like this, and you think you see like a an evil lair or something that is decked out by some kind of villain to piss off the heroes, basically to hinder their progress, and you think. How have they just got around this, this spike trapped ceiling, these toxic vet Like, is that not something that really like, makes working in this area absolute hell on earth? Like laser force fields and stuff like that. Like you just think, is it, is it too much trouble? Like, like would that just not be a real massive pain in the ass for you? <laughs> having to like set all that up and then make your way around the facility in which you work?
1: <laughs> I'd be far too clumsy for that. I'd be yeah. the, the big bad at the end of the game. Uh, that you walk into, and I'm just clutching my toe like, oh, sorry, I've just just (laughs) stubbed my toe.
0: So we grab the ride from the Zerka base. It's like a fresh ship. We get out of there and are shot down by three assassin droids. And this is the first time we realise that Damn, they're breeding like rabbits because we took out some HK50 before back on Paragus, but this is a whole other deal. This is like the first of the what I, I tend to call boy band HK50, where there's three of them in unison, <laughs> and they are hilarious. Naturally, they're all they all somehow manage to have their own personalities. They do, even when there's three identical uh, droids standing in a straight line, ready to kick your ass.
3: Unnecessary clarification. We merely wish to cripple your vessel.
0: They're really proud that they've shot you down. <laughs> oh, so proud. Like, they're
1: congratulating the one that shot you down. But in, in effect, they're congratulating themselves at the same time. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's exactly that. That's so... Actually, that's a really good point, Ben. It's It almost amplifies that narcissism in a way.
1: Egotistic praise. An excellent
3: shot, even with the prevailing winds. I couldn't have done it better myself.
0: You realise just how creepy HK's persona is as well when it's used against you. Because you were kind of laughing with him, you know, in the first game. And now you're like, oh, God, you know, these things are out to kill me. And I'm not sure I like them on the other side of me. Relentless, aren't they? They are. They don't give up.
1: there's, There's a very machine nature to them. And um, and they just keep coming.
0: And they almost feel like, I think you touched on it when you said about actually them uh, complimenting each other when they're actually congratulating the one who shot you down. It does feel like a weird hive mind mentality because technically they keep coming at you in threes and you fight them in many instances throughout the game. And it's always this bunch of three droids that you take down, but they feel like it's almost oh god these guys again even though it's technically three completely different droids <laughs> but because the models are so obviously they are the same the same uh clone of each other like it's just yeah that almost makes it feel more of an opposing force because it's weirdly they're all one joint force of the same thing and the replication of them each time makes you think oh God, it's never ending. Like, there is an assembly line of these bastards out there and they are never going to stop hunting me. That adds to how relentless they feel as characters. Yeah, absolutely. So... Landing in the polar region then, we have arrived at this mysterious academy. We don't really know who these people are. We didn't even
1: know what we're searching for really here. We're literally just looking for our ship, aren't we? And we stumble across this.
0: And surprise, surprise, we're apprehended and shoved in a cell. Again. Again.
1: <laughs> Why
2: is it that everywhere we go, I end up in a cell?
0: Poor he's so done. And then uh, we meet and are brought before atris who is the leader of this place what were your thoughts when you ended up here what can you tell us about this academy of sorts so initially we we, we didn't realize that we were we,
1: all we came here to do was get our ship back but we we kind of realized that we've been drawn here these handmaidens yeah. who work for atris have stolen the ship so that atris can meet with us um yes. atris being uh, a jedi from our past um who has a few words to say with us,
0: doesn't she? She's really angry about Paragus and obviously assumes it was all of our faults, which, you know, we had a part in it, sure, but she wasn't there, man. She doesn't know the full story.
2: You see shadows where there are none and hate where there is none. You are blind as always.
0: She's a bit Bastila, isn't she? She's got that Jedi snottiness, the
1: High and the mighty, The upturned yes.
0: Jedi knows, the elitism, she is very Bastila,
1: Dialed up, if anything. Uh, and it almost becomes a bit of a verbal boss battle, so to speak. She's so overly hostile that we really yes. have to stand our ground. And it's a clash of beliefs, isn't it, within the Jedi itself.
2: You betrayed the Jedi teachings and you were ruled by hate. Aggression—that That is not the way of a Jedi.
1: So how did you play
0: this from your character's perspective?
1: So from my character's perspective, I was very defensive because she really layered it on.
0: Oh, she dresses you down.
1: She, she basically cannot see eye to eye with me as to why I joined the Mandalorian Wars. Um, she says it was reckless that I was harming the galaxy, if anything, by doing that, that I was putting the Jedi at risk their core infrastructure at risk as well, not just the, the people themselves, but the whole ideology of the Jedi.
2: Without you and the other fallen Jedi to support them, to feed their lust for war, Revan and Malak's crusade would have been over before it began.
1: And within that, it's interesting, we said this in our first part of the podcast, how through dialogue you get to choose your history, your characters' motivations and past story, really. So I decided in this moment that my character went to war to help innocents who were who were dying at the hands of the Mandalorians. Not for any glory in battle or anything like that. Yeah. How did you approach Atris?
0: So it was interesting because like you say, she does go for the jugular straight away. It kind of starts off that the thing that she's angry about is that... There's a domino effect of you taking down Paragus in that by blowing it up, whether you were directly responsible or not, we've basically fucked loads more planets now because of the Paragus issue. Because Paragus supplies fuel and not having Paragus is going to mean a huge detrimental effect on the galaxy. So that really kind of made me quite defensive because I was adamant that I was innocent in that situation. There was nothing else I could have done. Then... She starts to tell me about the history of me and her, and obviously she's trying to rebuild the order, or so she claims, haha, ha. <laughs> we'll touch more on that later. We start talking about the idea of, of the Mandalorian Wars and why I fought, and like you say, you can say it's for innocence, you can say it's for bloodlust, you can choose whatever reason. I kind of played on the idea that I felt like it was the right thing to do. I felt like we couldn't stand by and do nothing. I really leaned on the whole uh, throwing the Jedi under the bus a little bit and being like, well, I had to do something, you know, like people were dying again. Like you, innocence were at risk and my moral compass led me to do something. I took the Republic stance of what well, the Jedi just stood by and watched.
2: The Jedi Order asked only for time to examine the Mandalorian threat. They urged caution, patience. And you defied them.
0: So it was very similar to your reason, really. I'm hoping they won't be too similar as we go through.
1: Oh, you know how this will go. I know you're going to go off the rails. (laughs) I know you're going to go
0: off the rails. Through my dialogue options with Atris, I uncovered that we have this history. She seems weirdly personally affected by me. She even says something to the point of how she idolized me again me being exiled me being sort of at this point knowing that the jedi are the ones responsible for my exile it was a weird moment for my character i think i feel like my character would have felt really personally affected by the thought that they had been someone once idolized and now they had been brought down to nothing that really was a great moment of the story, I yeah. think.
1: Yeah, it's all those little passing comments, that means so much. And yes. what that largely does as well is it means that we weren't just some some old Padawan that went to war. We were someone that was actually held in high esteem in the Order. Yeah. yeah, Enough to for her to say that, and she's the Jedi Master.
0: She seems bitter in other ways too. Like She says something about, there's a real funny ego battle where she's kind of like what would the Sith want with you? Surely they wouldn't want anything with you. They're probably looking for me. And it's like...
1: Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, to say that she's a little bit um, that way is an understatement because she bloomin' wields my lightsaber and waves it in front of my face. My, my, my gorgeous Feridian single-hilt blade. She, <laughs> she mocks me with it. She pulls <laughs> it out and she says... I, I mean, actually, she builds on what you said. She mm. says, I kept... Your lightsaber? Who does that?
0: Yeah, you know, who you does You wouldn't that? do that for
1: anyone. I, I kept your lightsaber as a reminder of your betrayal. It is not
2: yours. It is a symbol of something greater which you no longer represent.
0: And also, yeah, you're just, you're so right. There is such a venom and a pride and a bitterness in Atrus that it's not very becoming of a Jedi, FYI.
1: It feels more like it's not just about Jedi who went to war, it's about that I went to war. She says, Every choice we make sends an echo through the Force. It can awaken feelings, ignite passions where none existed before. By serving as an opponent for the Mandalorians to test themselves, you fed their hate, their lust for war. She really has an interesting point that actually, with the Jedi going to war... It feds the war. It made the Mandalorians more of a threat because they had pride in their their war capabilities and wanting to fight. Yeah, we actually fed into that. And because of that, the war warped us.
0: No, that's interesting. She she really acts like she knows you. And I think, again, it's great that the dialogue is so malleable because you get to really choose how you respond to every one of her kind of criticisms as such. So, yeah, I thought this this whole bit was really, really interesting. A verbal boss battle is exactly a great way to... It gets really
1: heated and there's a lot of quick back and forth. And I'll get to the point where I'm actually stopping her from speaking and finishing her points because I'm just butting in. I am on a run. I am right in my head and she is not convincing me at all. How dare you?
0: Let's put a pin in Atrus for a moment then. We've had this conversation. She eventually agrees to let us go. Can we just talk about what happens to our companions while they're in the cell? You've got Beada, Atten, and Kraya, because this was one of my favourite moments probably in the game, and the moment where I think I screamed at the laptop, like, whoa, I need to know more about this, and I need to know more about it now uh, Aten and Kreia when they're in the cages.
1: Oh my god, does Kreia show her true colours? Oh, Atrus, you have been clever.
0: Atrus? It's none
3: of your concern. Well, the sooner we're out of here, the better. Two crazy Jedi are more than enough for me. No one told me we were going to be dumped in a nest of Jedi. And what is it about this place that causes you such fear? What do you mean? We're in the middle of a bunch of Jedi. You know how they are. No, I do not. Not in the way you seem to.
0: She acts like she doesn't know Atrus to you, but she clearly does know Atrus. So that's a little bit disconcerting. Again, you don't know exactly what her history is with Atrus yet. And you don't assume it's necessarily anything bad, but you just don't know either way. But she starts talking to Atten and Atten kind of, you know, jabs at her the way they do. They bicker she breaks into Atten's mind and she, using her kind of force powers, I guess, discovers his secret.
3: Ah! Ah, with the fear is mingled guilt. It squirms in you like a worm. And the why? Ah, and there is its heart. You surprise me.
0: It becomes it becomes apparent that there is a big, massive F off secret to Aten, buried very, very deep, and she agrees to him that she won't tell me. Uh obviously me being the 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 exile. There's so much secrecy around what she's trying to pull out of him at this point. And as the player, you're privy to it, obviously, but the exile isn't. But she calls him murderer. She says,
3: sleep murderer and be silent.
0: She turns her eye to him
1: because he seems very anxious that he's in a Jedi Academy, um, or as what they believe it to be a Jedi Academy at that point. Um, and, uh, And she's just a bit confused. She's like, why are you so anxious? And that's what leads her to build uh, to break into his mind. She's learned a lot about him and she holds it over him for the rest of the game. She uses this as a manipulative tool to control him. Um, did you ever uncover Atten's secret?
0: So this is the heartbreaking part of my Cota 2 experience, Ben, because I poured everything into Atten and I still felt like I didn't really get to that. Um, I mean, we. I'm not going to spoil how my game ends for you right now, but no. I, I did not ever really get to the point where they had the conversation. I kind of wanted the exile and Aten to have it out and it never felt like they really did. Maybe that was a uh the dialogue tree doing its thing, maybe that was just something I missed. Uh, but either way, I didn't really feel like that got a resolution. I still don't 100% know. You get lots of hints along the way even in the um academy that we're in now, the Echani uh, handmaidens, obviously they are of a Chani background, descent, heritage, whatever, they mention that Aten has had a Chani training when they kind of apprehended us.
1: Yeah, which is a surprise because he doesn't look like the sort.
0: No, he doesn't. And you kind of go, oh, interesting, okay. I mean, I think I gave him like an Achani shield at that point. I was like, he'll know how to use this. But uh, yeah, that's an interesting thing. You start thinking about his background and where he's been and, and what he's been up to. And yeah, I, you'll have to tell me as we get there, you know, what happened for you with Atten? if something happened with you and Atten?
1: Oh, I will. Yeah,
0: I don't think I really got that much out of him. But this scene where Correa breaks into his mind and like pulls out this murderous secret that he's got buried in his heart was one of the finest moments I thought of the story. It really hooked me in and I was immediately, I felt like I nodded off a little bit towards walking around the Zerka base on the planet and fighting all those guys. Yeah. It was a lot of combat and not much narrative and this really made yeah. me go, wow, that's an answer, an answer to question that I really want and I still really liked and I didn't, you know, I felt like what a great character. I still love him but I want to know what's he done?
1: Telos, T-Loss is a little bit of a slow burn, admittedly, but I tell you what, when you get into yes. this...
0: A bit like Taris was, Yeah, really.
1: yeah. But once you get into this space, there's some big story beats that really play into the future narrative of the game.
0: We eventually get reunited with our party. We get given uh, given the right to leave and uh, Atrus has taunted us and atan has been sort of messed with by Kraya emotionally. Before
1: we did leave, there was one handmaiden that looked a little bit different from the rest yes I was um, about to mention and they this. seem yes. to be oh okay i beat you to it wow Gah. um but uh but yeah uh, the other handmaiden seem a little bit cruel to her almost so very mm. cutting um but she is quite inquisitive as to the force and yes. she she asks me um what is the force like how how does the force feel because um they, they the handmaidens aren't force sensitive and and, and that plays it apart, really, as to why Crayus says, "Oh, Atrus, you have been clever." We don't know why yet, but that does have a, that does have a link there. Mm-hmm. This handmaiden, she asks us, you know, w- w- what's the Force like? And there's two ways you can answer this. You can you can either be very kind of romantical about the Force,
0: romantical.
1: And, and... <sighs> hey. <laughs> You know what I mean? Uh, you can romanticize exactly the idea of the force. You mean. Yes, okay. Oh Let me have God.
0: it. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make a glossary of Ben terms. I really am for the podcast. That's Let so, me have it. so funny.
1: Roll with my weird tongue and the phrases, it says.
0: The badge of proudness, <laughs> romantical. Um, listeners, you didn't hear it in the last get in the last um episode because I edited out around it, but Ben, what was it you said you tried to say? Incapitated, not incapacitated, and I, I thought it was the funniest thing. But uh, I God. ended up putting HK's line in instead, so you didn't hear it. <laughs> but it was, it was a banger. <laughs> the Ben, the Ben Glossary is coming. Don't you, don't you worry. Anyway,
1: before you interrupted, <laughs> um, yeah. So there's two ways you can answer this. You can either be, you can romanticise the force and and be like, oh, it's lovely, blah blah. blah. Um, but for me, I, I, I'm a bit down and trodden. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, I only really know what it, the loss of it feels like. And um, so she says, well, tell me of its absence. And I love, I love the writing here. It's just so kind of poetic. And I'll kind of ream a few of these. Mm. It's like... I'll uh, put some
0: dreamy music in here while you tell us what the force feels like.
1: So actually, correction, it's not me that answers this. It's Crea. Um, it's Crea who answers it on our behalf, which is equally interesting because she's, yeah. she's telling us of what the absence of the force feels like. Yeah.
0: But she still feels it, right? So you think.
1: Yeah. Uh, So she says, it is knowing what to say and never finding the words.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah, I remember that.
1: It is a chorus replaced by silence, hearing teachings without meaning. It is like having the energy of youth, then feeling the cloak of years fall upon you and and knowing you are weak, fragile, a thing easily discarded. It is like a beloved pupil to whom you have shed everything, sacrificed everything, and then having them turn from you and forget all you were. Now, I love this because, of course, it is so poetic in itself. It's juicy. Are we seeing a fold to Kraya's history here through what she's saying?
0: What is Kraya's history with Atreus? How does she know Atreus? Why is she playing dumb that she doesn't? What has Atten done? What is his dark, grisly secret buried in his heart? There are so many questions now that aren't just about you as the player character, but also about your companions. And it gets, I think juicy is a great word. It builds up really, really well. And this last handmaiden chat is uh, is great for kind of, I, I like that you say it's poetic and it does, I think the writing here It's quite clever because the Force is something that we as players of the game, we as human beings on planet Earth, have never experienced because it's a fictional uh, entity as such. And it actually does quite a good job, the language, if we're really breaking nitty grittily into the way it's described actually being able to explain that feeling and that absence of that feeling in a very relatable way like that idea of knowing what you want to say but not being able to find the words like if if you've ever had that moment where you just feel I, mean, I have it on the podcast all the time when we get really wax lyrical about stuff and i'm like there is a word for this and i canny think of it for the life of me yeah. that feeling of redundance that feeling of just not quite getting to the end of that thought and something feeling very unfinished in your brain is a great way of depicting what the force being stripped away feels like so the last handmaiden she joins your party right not for me because i was female but for you she does
1: already paths are past our diversion a little bit and um because of course atris has been uh, a joy a delight um <laughs> we as a party on the ebon hawk are very kind of um hesitant to allow her on board
2: i can help you against this threat well we don't want your help or any of your sisters if it comforts you to believe that then so be it but the enemies you face are many and you will need all the help you can get
1: there is that distinction between her and her sisters so she's not as kind of cutthroat as her sisters are um she has a bit more of a a delicate side to her. Interestingly, Faye, no one else is happy about this, specifically <laughs> um, <laughs> Craya. Crayer I mean, is so hard to please. <laughs> don't even get me started on that. But of
3: course, what does one more matter to our journey? I have had enough of this. I will be in my chambers.
1: And she talks about the companions as well. And she says you should very much view them as disposable. Uh, take from them what you need and, and dispose of them. Uh, don't let them drag you down. And in response to this I'm like, okay, um, I, I I go, Well, I should view you as disposable too then.
0: Yes, I said the same thing.
1: Ah, oh, now you are learning.
0: Influence gained with Korea. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, you kinky. You like this. <laughs> Give me more insults." Yeah, she she at that up.
1: Otherwise, on the Ebon Hawk, once we reclaim it. Yeah. Um,
0: oh, can we do a little Eben Hawk jingle cuz there's always Ebon drama and I love it. Oh,
1: god, yes, we need to do an Ebon yeah, Hawk yeah. jingle because we are going to have so many Ebon Hawk character yeah. moments. So, let's make it now. Now, do you want to do the vocals or do you want to do the backing?
0: Oh, oh god. Um <laughs> um um Oh, I, I mean, I do the vocals on a lot of weird little jingles that I write for this podcast. So maybe I can do the backing. I'll, oh. I'll channel my inner, never mind the buzzcocks. Okay. Yeah, let's make a jingle. Let's make a jingle because the Ebon Hawk is basically the central perk in Friends of Cota 2. Oh, it like, is? Everything happens there. All the drama kicks off on the Ebon Hawk. There are a million different scenes in between planets. And yeah, you really need to kind of dig into what happens there. So, all right. Uh, do you want me to give you a beat?
1: All aboard. No, let me do that again. All aboard the Ebonhawk <laughs> I I had to go with your beat. I was expecting that beat.
0: You went satanic with my beat. I didn't realize you were going to go heavy metal on me. All aboard the Ebon Hawk. Shall we just be like, gather your party for a little talk? All aboard the Ebon Hawk. Boom! what happened for you when you first stepped on board
1: t3m4 he takes the helm of the situation he has one of his many moments when caged in atris's little lair. he's Stole a recording, and this recording, interestingly enough, was of your trial. Um, and we see this recording. We see all the Jedi Masters encircle me.
0: Who is your favourite Jedi, and why is it
1: Handlebar Mustache Jedi? A handlebar Mustache guy. <laughs> He's like a little walrus, bless him. In the recording, I don't do much talking. They seem to have their opinions already sorted about me. It's very much a condemning sort of thing, and it ends with me stabbing my lightsaber into the center stone um giving up my jedi um ways uh and that includes the lightsaber so um yes a very painful experience relived
3: you are exiled and you are a jedi no
0: longer
2: there is one last thing the lightsaber surrender it to us
0: And they shed a bit of light on, I mean, they don't give you the full picture, but they talk a little bit about something big happening at Malachor 5, which obviously was when the fighting went down. And you uh, gather that you killed a bunch of Mandalorians and you, you know, you fought hard and you fought bravely. But they talk about some kind of event and you being a danger and there's lots of language protruding to the idea that you are a hazard in some way to to other people.
1: Yeah, uh, good point. Um, I think at this moment in the story, uh, we kind of interpret this as being, oh, they just expect me to be a fallen Jedi, a dark Jedi now, exactly. or to have that tendency. Yes. That's how it reads yeah. in this moment.
0: Very much so. You think, oh, they see that I have uh, I've diverted from the path that the Jedi should walk. I got involved when I shouldn't have done. I basically stuck my neck out when I should have just like played it calm and cool and collected and sat there meditating the whole time. And I, as a player, as a a person, don't agree with that. I feel like I would have had to have got involved too. But it's, yeah, it's very judgy jedi ways and you're like okay they just feel like i have i've gone astray basically and there isn't really much more to it than that you watch the trial and the story beat kind of emerges uh the the general narrative arc of the game is that you need to go and seek out the other missing jedi to find out the real reason why you were exiled like what happened to you why were you really cast out because watching that trial you know that they're not telling you the whole story. And this is, uh, you know, the biggest driving point, the biggest mystery behind the game is why did they exile you? What were they so afraid of?
1: This really sets the stage for our ongoing journey. What I will say, just as one final point to in this, is with T3M4, I, be- I build a bit of trust with him through repairing him, basically. And he says that he locked the astrogation system in the Ebon Hawk because... This is something we picked up in Paragus, even the miners did, that the, the past coordinates, the past uh, places that it's been are not viewable. T3M4 is the one that's disguised that. And he said he did this to protect his old master.
0: I think he said to me to like protect a friend or something. And I mean, maybe that's because I said that Revan was a good guy. Maybe that's another reason, Um, uh, another subtle difference in the grand tapestry of narrative uh, threads there. But he he said i'm sure he said to me like it's because of a friend okay and then he plays you a little um video a little hologram of calf not for you but because revan was evil in your game right he was so what did calf say
2: t3 there's not much time i've seen that expression on her face before now i don't know where she's planning on going but it's dangerous she's going to leave without telling me i don't know why but there's a chance that she'll take you if she does i need you to watch out for her she's strong she can't face everything alone
0: her must refer to Revan in this instance so it seems as though he is he's chasing Revan down whatever has happened with him and Revan has maybe gone a bit sour I'm not really sure but it feels like I kind of got that that was where Revan is they're disguising Revan's last location
1: interesting because for me it was Bastila, dark side Bastila as well. So of course, yes. Revan oppo- uh, supposedly ditches the Sith and Bastila, and he's gone on his merry way. And yep. he didn't tell Bastila where he's going, so she's trying to trying to figure that out herself.
0: And female Revan didn't tell Karth, so their long lost lovers are uh, are seeking their their whereabouts basically. Before we close this podcast with. You know, us going off in search of the other missing Jedi who exiled us because that's the main narrative arc that will be going on from here on out. Uh, let's just talk about a couple of other things that happen on board the Ebon Hawk. Atten confesses to having a crush on me. He, uh, asks an opinion, uh, I think, of Bayardur And they have this really cute scene that's very confessing your high school crush to your friends, you know what I mean?
1: Just give me your opinion, okay? And don't laugh. Uh, I didn't see any of this, so do tell me.
0: It was really cute. He just basically said, you know, whether they think that he and I have any. He kind of implies, you know, any romantic uh, uh, sentiment going on there, any sort of chance of maybe ending up together. And and I think they kind of effectively tell him in your dreams, (laughs) which I think made me kind of love Atten even more.
2: I was just wondering if you thought maybe she and I might. Being serious. You said you wouldn't laugh.
0: Um, I think the thing with Aton is that he comes across, a very, especially at the start of the game, as being very misogynistic. But actually... He has a real weakness to him, which I think warms you to him as you. And he's very loyal. You know, he's very caring as well. Oh, you are totally smitten. Yeah, I mean, you can tell I'm pretty smitten. I'm smitten. He also has a great chat. I don't know if you got this as well, but he has a chat with uh, T3 and they play Pazak. And he gets a bit droidist again. You know how he doesn't like droids. He accuses T3 of cheating, which I thought was quite funny because he obviously T3 is a, uh, more robotic and more calculated in his intelligence. Um, did you chat to Beodar at all?
1: Uh, no, I don't have a Béodère moment at the moment.
0: Ah, so for me, Béodère, um he started talking about how he's going to help me reconstruct my lightsaber. Um, and then he mentioned about giving T3 an MOT. <laughs> um, I trust him, but T3 seems very opposed to this idea, possibly because he might have some stuff on him that's, it would incriminate maybe his friends, Revan, you know, reveal too much that he's not allowed to say.
1: We're kind of retreading in our history now, aren't we? Say, lightsaber's the next thing we really want. Get me one of those glow sticks.
0: I felt the absence of the Force. This absence that everyone talks about is not having a lightsaber in the early stage of the game. I also spoke to Beodur about why I chose to fight because he does kind of bring that up. You know, why did you go to the Mandalorian Wars? And again, like Atrus, I said, I couldn't stand by and watch. You know, I, I just, like many of the Jedi, did nothing and I was not prepared to be that human.
1: And he's very much of the same mind, isn't he? He actually respects yeah. you for that decision because, if I remember rightly, with Vader, I, I think he his home world or something personal to him got really crushed by the Mandalorian Wars. Um, so, yeah. so yeah. he he had a bit of a journey.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I I really like Vader. I really had a lot of respect for Vader. I just in general felt that he was. A trustworthy character who had very similar motivations to me my character so at this point yeah i, I got on well with bea i you know was crushing on Latin a little bit i was speaking to t3 quite a lot about his past and where he uh, had hidden reven in the galaxy somewhere and the sort of secrets he holds and then Kreia just was being really odd as usual did you get that weird moment where she like zaps t3 and says like betrayal
3: <laughs> machines for such things defies me
1: yeah oh god so quite a lot happened for you quite early on didn't it yes absolutely it did
0: so this was all this was all before my first planet <laughs> this was all before my first planet you must be like oh
1: my god there's so much drama happening yes um
0: literally every time i thought a cutscene had ended and i'd get control again another cutscene would play it was like out and fancies you boom and i was like oh, okay let me take control oh no now uh beader wants to give t3 an MOT. Oh, okay boom okay I and then it was it. like oh and now cray gonna zap t3 oh jesus now he really needs an mot boom and then the next thing oh do you want to chat to beader for a bit have a cup of tea in the cockpit yeah okay absolutely boom and then the next thing i know it was atten and t3 were playing pizzak just it went on forever it was like metal gear Solid. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it was i was too busy trying to catch my breath but uh, the reason wow she says betrayal. I mean, you must have been like, why well, is she saying betrayal? But I was so this confused. was like, what's T3 done? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, it's basically because he told you he was hiding the coordinates of where the shit's been to protect his old friend. So um, oh. does that mean that Kreia knows Revan?
0: Oh, yeah. Maybe she's on Revan's side. How interesting. I Yeah, I didn't think of it that way. I just thought it was part of some bigger grand scheme of things yeah i mean so much happened for me so much happened uh but yeah let's go off in search of the jedi particularly the handlebar mustache jedi of course and uh yeah i guess we'll see you back for part three when we go to what planet do you fancy going to first ben i think i did dantooine
1: oh let's do dantooine first then because i have a whole moment on there
0: (laughs) oh okay all right so yeah that's us that's us out for now uh see you next time guys Bye. John, do your classic sign-off phrase, Ben. See ya. See ya. And that's a wrap on part two of Knights of the Old Republic 2. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back very soon with part three. It'll probably be one that will easily be three or four parts because it is such a whopper of a game. I've also got Resident Evil 8 coming your way very soon and Detroit Become Human, hopefully across the next two months. So yeah, it's not, I've given up making it a regular thing because I feel like it's just not doable. But that said, I'm working very hard on prioritising the podcast and making sure that I, I stick to it, but in a way that doesn't cripple the rest of my free time because you know as soon as something becomes a chore it's something you hate it's not something you find fun anymore and uh i have a lot of fun making this we had a lot of fun making this thank you so much for listening if you want to follow us on twitter you can do at my game fiction or we're on instagram at my game i need to really update that uh and yeah get in touch if you you know tweet us or, or dm us and let us know what games you'd like to see us cover And if you had any thoughts on Knights of the Old Republic 2, let us know. I'll see you guys next time.